Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Episode 229 for the love of the game on the Believe Podcast Network with yours truly, Aaron Tobinesses, is brought to you by Bet Online. The NBA season has kicked off, people, so it's time to get in on the action, and you can find everything with Bet Online. There's tons of sports going on right now. NFL, full swing ahead, college football, the World Series, NHL, NBA, college basketball is coming soon, and get everything you need to get in on the action at Bet Online. Latest odds, trends, predictions, news, you can find everything on whether it's head to the website today, use promo code Believe. That's B L E A V to get a fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. With that said, episode two twenty nine for the love of the game. Let's get this work. Don't you tell me that is no money. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Episode 229 for the love of the game with yours truly, ATH Aaron Tobin Hess, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, sponsored by betonline.ag. And the New York Giants and New York Jets played a football game. It was very bad. It was very, very bad to watch. 13-10 Jets win in overtime. I'm just going to start with the New York Giants because this may be the last episode for a while where I actually discuss them because even last week where you may have had a faint of hope, like the last little sliver because they won a game against the Commanders that you thought maybe, just maybe, given the state of the NFC and the NFL as a whole, that not a whole lot of good teams – with a couple of winnable games, they may be able to make some noise. But no, that dream, that small, small dream is dead after Sunday. I was lucky enough to not be able to watch all this game. I was supposed to be traveling from New York to Miami, missed my flight, whatever. But I got a chance to catch the end of the game after the Giants were up 10-7. They had a total of Negative nine net passing yards. Tyrod Taylor goes out with an injury. Just absolutely atrocious. Absolutely atrocious. And I just want to skip towards the end of the game because the New York Giants held a 10-7 lead and were driving the ball down the field. In the fourth quarter, the Jets had used all their timeouts. And with about 30 seconds left, the Giants were faced with a fourth and one. The field goal was about a 40-something yard field goal after Graham Gano, who was probably the best player on the Giants two years ago, 
has been very reliable, but hasn't been that good this year. Already missed the kick. It was sloppy conditions. The Giants are faced with fourth and one. A first down ends the game. A field goal puts them up six with about 28 seconds left. And Brian Dable decides to go for the kick, knowing that it's rainy, wet, and gross outside, and that Graham Gano has not had a good day. Decides to go for the field goal. And what do you know? Graham Gano misses the field goal. Misses the field goal. So now the Jets get the ball with an opportunity to drive down the field for a game-tying field goal or a game-winning touchdown. Zach Wilson makes two throws, spike the ball one second left, tie game, going into overtime. The Giants decide to take the ball first, which... Looking back on it was probably the wrong decision considering neither offense was at all good. They should have taken the ball, or I should say they should have deferred. Let the Jets start with the ball because Zach Wilson couldn't do anything. Tommy DeVito wasn't basically allowed to do anything. He threw the ball behind the line of scrimmage multiple times. But yeah, the Giants should have trusted their defense there. They take the ball first. Nothing. Give the ball to the Jets. Jets come down, couple of penalties here, a couple of penalties there, and the Jets kick a field goal, 13-10 winners in overtime, the New York Jets. The Giants season is over. It doesn't matter who's playing quarterback. It doesn't matter. The Giants season is over. They are 2-6. and six. They now should be looking to lose every single game from here on out to get a top three pick for Caleb Williams or Drake May. But the major problem here is Brian Dable, the head coach, somebody who I'm a fan of, somebody who was the toast of the town last year, somebody who coached with major stones last year. This year, not so much. Brian Dable, what do you have to lose? What do you have to lose? Go for it on fourth and one. End the game right there. Even if you get stopped, it's 15 yards extra where the Jets have to go travel the length of the field to get the game time field goal. Even if you get stopped, you have to go for it there. Graham Gino's already missed a kick. I, I can't believe he settled for, for three to try and make it a six-point game. Zach Wilson got the majority of his passing yards on that last drive on two throws. He wasn't doing anything. And for all the Jet fans who are excited about this, I mean, let's get real. The Jets may be four and three, but they suck, okay? They absolutely suck. Zach Wilson stinks, but congratulations on the victory, New York Jets. I guess they're still in the mix. But Brian Dable, what are we doing here? Last year, he would go for two. He'd go for it on fourth down. He'd be ultra aggressive. This year, we don't see any of that. I'm a Brian Dable defender. However, I do believe that now it's fair to start questioning if he's really that guy. We've seen Ben McAdoo. Remember, Ben McAdoo made the playoffs in his first year, went 10-6. and six. Then it fell apart. People were high on Joe Judge after his first year. Then it fell apart. Is Brian Dable one of the same as those two guys? I'm not sure I'd go there yet but I'm starting to question Brian Dable.
And that, as a Giant fan, is really concerning. The fact that the Giants didn't have a backup quarterback on the roster to be trusted to throw the ball ahead of the line of scrimmage, knowing that Tyrod Taylor has gotten hurt a lot before. I mean, see last year when the Giants had to win a game with Saquon Barkley basically playing quarterback as the as the Wildcat quarterback. Like, how does that happen? How does that happen? That's on the coaching staff. More so than the general manager. That's on the coaching staff. I've never had a reason to question Brian Dable as the coach of the New York Giants up until now. Sunday was a coaching travesty. A travesty. And yeah, it's not going to mean squad douche in the long run. But Brian Dable's got to find his stones back. Got to get those cojones back for the betterment of the franchise going forward because that was absolutely atrocious. Absolutely atrocious. I do want to give a shout out to Saquon Barkley. I know with the trade deadline looming this week in the NFL, and it's not like Saquon's really going to get traded, even though there's there's constant rumors considering the Giants have already traded Leonard Williams. We'll get to that in a second. Saquon Barkley balled out. 36 carries over 120 yards was the only way the Giants were going to move the ball. It's very clear to me, and I think it's clear to the Giants too now, that he's the engine of the offense. And yeah, the contract was weird. The negotiations did not go great over the summer, but I actually think that this year has highlighted the fact that they're going to get a deal done in the offseason because they love the guy as the face of the franchise. And let's just say I don't think they think Daniel Jones is it. We're going to talk a lot about this with a first-time guest on the show coming up soon. But yeah, kudos to Saquon Barkley and kudos to Kayvon Thibodeau, somebody who I questioned early on first couple of weeks, two, three weeks, was really, really bad. Really, really bad. And now he's turned it on in a major way. He had like three sacks on Sunday, absolutely dominated. Yeah, it's a bad Jets offensive line. But still, dominated. Looks like he's rounding into form. But man, the Giants are just gross. Just gross. It's time to look towards the draft. Caleb Williams, Drake May, let's try to get that done. And I think they started that process by unloading Leonard Williams for a future second round or a future fifth round, which is a great return for a guy who was a pending free agent who is on his way out anyway. On his way out anyway. He was a productive player for them in spurts. But not sad to see him go. Glad to see the draft capital. I know they're going to be paying most of the salary. So that dead money doesn't go towards improving the roster, which helps them lose more games. So this is a good thing for the New York Giants. But my goodness, that was an absolute eyesore of a game. And the worst part about it was after I missed my flight on Sunday, I had the pleasure of watching the last two and a half minutes in the airport trying to figure out when I was going to fly out. So, yeah. Way to stick it to me, New York Giants. Way to stick it to me, even though probably better in the long run that they lost. A couple of things around the NFL, considering I just knocked two birds out with one stone with New York football. A couple of things around the NFL. The Cincinnati Bengals, who were my preseason pick to win the Super Bowl, started out slow, but now they are rounding into form. 31-17 over the San Francisco 49ers. I know the Niners are banged up. No Trent Williams, no Debo Samuel, but still. 
Really impressive by the Bengals. The Bengals and Joe Burrow are rounding into form. Joe Burrow absolutely shredded the Niners' defense. Absolutely shredded them. He looks like he's back to being his old self. Bengals now 4-3. and three. I honestly think that they are the best team in that division. I thought so the entire way. I know they started out slow, but they did that again last year. Bengals are rounding into form. Good to see it from him. The Jacksonville Jaguars, 6-2. and two. Look like a legit, legit playoff team, a really legit playoff team. Winning in Pittsburgh is never easy. So kudos to Jacksonville for taking care of business. The Arizona Cardinals, who were deemed to be the worst team in the league before the season started. And I know they lost to the Ravens, who look impressive at times, 31-24. But the Arizona Cardinals can beat their balls off, right? They have a terrible roster. Up and down the roster, they have very, very little talent. But they are playing way above their heads, way above their heads. And for a team that got clowned on, that was said to go 1-16, be a lock for the number one pick, I'm not so sure that's the case. Kudos to the coaching staff for getting those guys to try hard. I mean, the Arizona Cardinals are not nearly as bad as their record says because they've just been coached up and they're trying hard. And lastly... The Detroit Lions, 6-2, and two, looked good on Monday Night Football. Jameer Gibbs with an absolute breakout game was a monster. He sunk my fantasy team this week, but loved the Lions this week, minus 7.5. They got that done, even though another losing week in picks against the spread, 2-3. and three, Not as bad as my buddy Shy, who took an 0-5. for 5. But, yeah, it's uh, kudos to the Lions. Lions are a good team. The Lions are a good team. I know they got smacked two weeks ago, but I still like the Lions going forward. All right, on to the NBA before we bring on a first-time guest to talk a little bit about the New York Giants and what a disgusting display that was on Sunday. We're going to talk a little bit about the Knicks, a little bit about the Rangers. But the nightmare is over. James Harden, disgruntled James Harden, was traded to the Clippers. Harden and P.J. Tucker go to the Clippers for... Nicholas Batum, Marcus Morris, Robert Covington, K.J. Martin, a 2026 first, a 2028 first, two second rounders, and one pick swap. What does this do for the Clippers? I don't know. I don't think it improves them that much. Why do we think the Clippers are going to be any better now than they were before? It's a first-round exit team, probably. I don't know what to make of this chemistry experiment, but I just don't think it's going to go well. I kind of like this deal for Philly. Listen, getting rid of the cancer that is James Harden is going to prove this team. It's going to embolden Tyrese Maxey. It's going to embolden Joel Embiid. And Nicholas Batum is a good rotation player. Marcus Morris I can do without. Robert Covington I can do without. K.J. Martin's like a nice young piece, athletic. We'll see what he's got. And they get future firsts for when the Clippers are old and may not have anybody on the roster. This is a great trade for Philly. Absolutely slam dunk. Now, this sucks as a Knicks fan because if I think that this team is going to be helped, I don't want the Philadelphia 76ers to be helped because I want Joel Embiid to be disgruntled. But I actually think for this season, and it's not like the Knicks were going to get Joel Embiid this season anyway, but for this season, I think this helps the Sixers. And I know I was bullish on their over. I feel even better about that now. A couple of other things from around the NBA that stood out to me. First, the Damon Giannis pairing for the Bucks. 
The pick and roll looks good, but it still needs to work out some kinks. They're two and one to start the year. We saw Dame have a monster first game. He didn't have a good game at all in game two. It'll work itself out, but the, the promise is there. Victor Wimbanyama is ridiculous. Some of the things he's doing, especially on the defensive end, are insane. The way he guards out in space on the perimeter is crazy. The block shots is crazy. The offense is rounding into form. He hasn't shot it great yet, but you can tell. You can tell it's all there. I mean, the skills, the athletic movement, the length, it's just, it's like nothing we've ever seen before. And I know the scoring output and the shooting percentage hasn't been there yet, but it's going to come. It's absolutely going to come. Just wait till he gets a point guard that knows how to set him up. I mean, this Spurs team is weird, but I still think he's that good and is going to get even better as the year goes on that they're going to win 30 games just by his sheer awesomeness. I do. That's what I think. Another rookie that's really showed out, and there have been a couple, but Chet Holmgren missed all of last year. Chet Holmgren also looks really, really good. And he looks like somebody who's going to be an absolute nightmare for opposing teams. He's like Victor Wembanyama light. Oklahoma City is building something. And I said that they're going to be a top six seed in the West. I can easily see them being a home court advantage team in the playoffs. Just I'm super high on them. Another team that I'm high on, the Sacramento Kings. I know people were talking about the Sacramento Kings taking a step back, but I don't, I don't see it. This team is young. It's exciting. They like playing with each other. De'Aaron Fox is awesome. I know he may miss a couple of games with a sprained ankle that he sustained against the Lakers, which was a bit of a bummer, but I'm high on this team. I think Malik Monk is going to win sixth man of the year. I think he's the best reserve in the league. Shout out to him. I love the Sacramento Kings. Absolutely love what I'm seeing from the Sacramento Kings. And lastly, I'm not sure any of it's going to matter because there's a team out in the West that plays in Denver that is so good, the reigning NBA champions, and Nikola Jokic is just awesome. He's the best player in the league. His dominance on all levels and his mastery of the game and what he does in terms of get, just getting guys open, just the feel he has, it's unmatched. It's absolutely unmatched. I know I picked the Lakers to make the finals before the season started. I don't see how they beat Denver in a seven-game series. Because Anthony Davis is absolutely no match for Nikola Jokic. And if Anthony Davis can't do it, not a whole hell of a lot of other people can do it. So the Denver Nuggets are frightening, man. Absolutely frightening. If they stay healthy, I think they're going back to the finals again, honestly. I know it's been only a week. Season's fresh. That's how I feel. I've watched two Nuggets games and you see how crisp they are and they're only going to get better when the young guys who like Christian Brown getting more seasoned reps, Jamal Murray is back healthy. Michael Porter Jr. is getting healthy. This team's a juggernaut, a potential juggernaut. Anyway, so we're going to bring on a a first-time guest. Somebody who's a disgruntled New York sports fan like myself. We have a a nice back and forth on Twitter. So happy to bring him on where you can get to him in just a matter of moments. So I am very excited to welcome on a first time guest, one of the Twitter 
hive that I'm on, uh, a little bit of Nick's Twitter, a little bit of New York's Giants Twitter, none other than Stephen Weiss, a.k.a. on Twitter. You can find that angry Nick's fan. Stephen, what's going on, man? How you doing? Good to see you. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Um, you know, thank you for having me on it. You know, a lot of times if they're a bad Giant fan, it wouldn't be good, but I'm actually good. So I'm I'm, I'm cool with it. I'm, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. So, you know, we bonded over some Giants talk, some Nick's talk. Uh, a little bit of current events. We're not going to talk about any of that. Right now, we have to start off with this Giants loss in week, week 8, 13 to 10 against the Jets in overtime. In really one of the ugliest games you'll ever see. There were more punts than points scored. What was your first reaction after the game? Just, like, take me through your thoughts. I know I, you know, I sound like the kind of fan that I'm not, but honestly, I was relieved. I was actually very, so. very relieved because, you know, I'm not delusional. Last season, you know, was a shock. It was – they went the way we, no one planned on. There was, this, is a, this is a pretty much a almost a, a gut to the studs job. I'm not exactly, but definitely to a degree. And I was shocked, you know, they went to the playoffs last year. So this year, I'm not surprised that they've taken a step back and regressed. And, I mean, I kind of had two thoughts because Carmen was like, you know, if they won – and they didn't get screwed on the Buffalo Bills uh, game with the call, they'd actually be 4-4. Four four. So I was like, well, okay, maybe we fight for the playoffs. But the other part of me is like, you know, 2-6, and six, it's kind of a relief because we're not going to have any uh, misnomers or false plans of competing. The fact is, this is a rebuild. It's a gut job with, though, some real stars on our team. And I was actually kind of just relieved because too many times as a Giant fan, in our bad years, we've won stupid games, and it has cost us. Or, or if perception of costing us. Like, I'd rather have Andrew Thomas and Chase Young, actually. But right. at the time, at the time say, it actually worked out in their favor. It actually, historic, it actually worked out, surprisingly. But, you know, I, I was kind of relieved in a sense, though, when I was diving into it, I have to say that, you know, first of all, Tommy DeVito grew up two towns from where I live. So I was pretty, you know, pretty cool to see him in there. They should have let him throw it a little more. Um, and I have to say, I'm shocked I mean, or, or the Jets were just that bad. But how was it even that close when you knew in the second half all they were doing was running the ball? Like, it was literally no element of surprise. Yeah. I, so a couple of things. So I spoke about them last week a little bit after the Washington game, where it was just like, I know that the season's not going anywhere, but the fan in you can almost, like, convince yourself that in this season in the NFC where basically the NFL like sucks, like everybody kind of stinks. Could they make a run at it? They have some winnable games at, you know, New England, the Raiders, you know, a couple of winnable games. And you're just like, could they somewhat turn it around with Tyrod Taylor? Like who knows? And then Sunday happens and you're just like, nope. Just throw all that those thoughts out, and it's time to just let the bottom fall out and and play for the draft. And I just couldn't believe it how they lost this game. Just how. Now, again, Tyrod Taylor, of course he gets hurt because he plays reckless, and you saw it last year when they had to run Saquon Barkley at Wildcat mm -hmm. quarterback, and somehow they still won the game. Like, those are games they were winning last year. They won all these one-score games last year. They're not winning them this year. But 
even with all that said, to be up 10-7 and for it to unfold in the last minute the way it did against the Jets, who their fans are talking a lot of crap, like the Jets are anything legit this year. Like, that was frustrating. So, yeah, if I had – I needed the Giants to win one more game. And, by the way, I bet them plus three, and it was the worst push of all time. So that was – adding insult to injury. But if I needed them to win one more game so they can go three and 14, I needed them to win this week. <laughs> I mean, to me, I look at it as they will win at least one more game. And, you know, three wins, four wins is probably what, in a weird way, you're going to probably need. So I don't want it to happen now. But I will say this, though. The fan in me, too, kept thinking, if the Buffalo game, like there was a bad call at the end of that game, if they didn't get, you know, screwed on it, and they beat the Jets, you're looking at four and four, then you're right. The NFC is open, but open to a to a degree. I think we saw last year in the playoffs. Right, to be one and done in the playoffs. And not maybe you win a wild seriously. card to get a good matchup, like you did against the Vikings. But look what happened against the Eagles. I mean, they got slaughtered. Yeah. Yeah. So you've tweeted, you're on the record saying that this Giants situation is not as doom and gloom. A lot of people like myself are so annoyed with just with the Daniel Jones contract in a sense where it's just like, I know he has an opt out after last year, but the fact that they are no better with Tyrod Taylor playing quarterback and then the guy they're paying $40 million guaranteed to, to me is a major, major problem. But you said this was like 2003 um, where the giants had some pieces, but all they needed was the quarterback. So explain your rationale and why Giant fans shouldn't be so, so distraught about the future of the franchise right now. For sure. So let's point out in 2003, the Giants did need more than a, than a quarterback. I mean, I don't want to take anything away from the accomplishments of Kerry Collins here. You know, he came in here, you know, we were in a pretty bad period from uh, Dave Brown. Yeah, exactly. Dave Brown, like Kent Graham, Danny Cannell. I mean, we were really kind of a mess. He came in and he played decent football, certainly better than Daniel Jones. Okay, like let's be clear here. He did take us, you know, to a Super Bowl. And you guys remember 2002, we had a very nice year. Jeremy Shockey's rookie year. And we went 10 and 6, and then we blew a 38 to 14 lead versus the Niners. And we lost in the first round of the playoffs. And it was, that was for me as a fan, the most devastating loss that's actually I've ever experienced. I was just so upset by, about it. Um, as, as a kid, it was terrible. And, you know, well, and come to the next If I remember correctly, that, that game I remember for two reasons. One, as the Niners are mounting a comeback and Terrell Owens is talking crap to the Giants, Michael Strahan says, look yes. at the scoreboard. And yes. it turns yes. out the scoreboard at the end of the game did not favor the New York Giants. That was number one. Number two was in the botched field goal attempt at the end of the game when the – the punter, or I should say the holder, went to throw a pass. There was blatant, blatant, blatant pass interference that would have given them, I I think, one more play at like the three or the four-yard line. Mm-hmm. That yes. didn't happen. But, yeah, that, that was bad. But, anyway, continue. Sorry. No, exactly. It was terrible. But they went in 2003, and, you know, we had high hopes for that season. You know, we really did. Things didn't go right. We ended up at a four-and-four four start, and we finished four-and-twelve. And – you know, at that point, I remember there was a big debate around Giant fans. Do we go draft Robert Gallery or do we go ahead and get one of the quarterbacks? You have Eli Manning, who rumors are doesn't play for San Diego, Philip Rivers or Ben Roethlisberger. 
However, you look at that 2003 Giants roster. Look who we had. We had Tiki Barber, who, by the way, is older than Saquon Barkley is, is now, though apparently he's a little less mileage on him. I didn't realize that. Um, you know, Monty Toomer, who was probably at that point just leaving his prime, but was still, you know, pretty good. You had Jeremy Shockey coming off an injury plague second season, but obviously was still good. And you had a young developing offensive line. And then defensively, you know, I think uh, uh, Michael Strahan. And you had um, Fred Robbins, Jimbo Wilson, but primarily you had you know, Strahan there. You had some real pieces on that team. And you went ahead, and we all know what happened, right? We had a terrible season. We got the fourth pick in the draft. And a quarterback out of Ole Miss did not want to play for San Diego. And in that regard, you know, the rest is history. It worked out. Now, our 4 season wasn't great, obviously. But we then signed Plaxico, and we continued drafting well via Ernie Acorsi. And we started, you know, building it up. And I look at, you know, Joe Shane's record here, and I think he's Sure, Evan Neal looks like a miss. No, I think he could be a guard and be solved. But Joe Shane's drafts had not been bad. He's hit, he's hit on some picks and some key, key picks for us. So I see that we're actually building. We're probably better than we were last year talent-wise. And look at this Giants team. Look who we have on defense. It's Kayvon Thibodeau and Dexter Lawrence. Two studs, two players who could be all pro for the next decade. I mean, I mean I'm not going to be hyperbole. It's just the reality. Banks, that cornerback, was a huge, huge find. I mean, he's looking like phenomenal as well yeah he um, looks like a player i mean pro football focus has him ranked in you know the top five of a bunch of categories for the, at the cornerback position like he, he's been very very good very very good and i mean I'm after, not sure especially the after the first two weeks where he had a rough you know stretch with the pass interference like he was just getting used to the physicality of the game he's been he's been quite excellent for for, no, for sure and then you know, the flot is you know solid Xavier McKinney, I don't know if they're going to keep him or not. If if not, but still, I mean, he's a pretty good player. One of the few Gettleman uh, decent mid round picks. Um, and then you have that six round pick Hawkins, who I think's going to develop well. I'm not sure about Ojulari. Then you go to the offensive side of the ball, franchise tackle Andrew Thomas. When healthy, the center Schmitz, second round pick, very very good. Um, I think Jalen Hyatt, if used correctly, is going to be extremely good. I like Wendell Robinson in the slot. That's the only two receivers right there. Obviously, we have one of the best running backs in football, Saquon Barkley. So you think about it and you say, okay, next year's a wash, but you can get out of Jones' contract, get some cap space, get a young rookie quarterback on a rookie deal, keep some of these pieces. I don't think this is all doom and gloom. Like I really think this is what we almost need because there's no in no world. Daniel Jones is taking you anywhere. And I actually got to say, Daniel Jones has surpassed my expectations. When they drafted him, there was a video taken by my wife of me screaming at the TV because I knew it was going to happen. He was a day two prospect, pick six overall, like because his um, his coach was Eli's QB coach and he has similar mannerisms to Eli Manning. That's all they have in common. They have nothing in common. Like, I don't understand where this even came from. And he's, you know, actually been somewhat decent. But the problem when you have a QB like Jones, unless you have, you know, a guy who's a top 10 quarterback, you can't pay them. You're better off with the Niners model. You're better off cycling them out every three, three to five years and just having them on rookie deals and loading up your team. The minute you have to pay a guy like Daniel Jones, you're screwed. And it's not about Jones not being that good. I actually think if they were a well-run franchise, Jones could have had success here on his rookie deal. I don't think he's garbage. I really don't. Right. It's just... I agree, by the way. Yeah, he is. You, you, you can't pay the guy $40 million. Like that. You can't pay him $40 that's, million. That's a death sentence to the team. 
It's a death sentence yeah. to the team. And it was a perfect storm. It was a perfect storm. Like, they hadn't made the playoffs since 2016. They make the playoffs. They win a playoff game. And you think you bring in Darren Waller and that the offensive line is going to take a step up. And those things didn't really happen. And Waller, who's who's been good for them, like, he's been okay. I mean, I don't think he's been used properly either. But, you know, the, the offensive line hasn't been as great. The Evan Neal thing at tackle is not very good, or at least it wasn't good early. And now he's hurt, and he's making $40 million, and the team's a disaster. And I just don't think if the Giants want to take a step forward – that he he can't be the quarterback next year. Like, he can't. And I know there's going to be some dead cap money if they release him, but I think you got to do it. My only pushback to you is this, right? I think – I see what you're saying with the roster and having other pieces in place around a rookie quarterback, thinking that hopefully that Caleb Williams or Drake May or one of these guys one that don't guys. be bad enough to get those picks. My only pushback is this. If they are at the fifth pick, looking at all the teams that may have it, you know, picks ahead of them, the Bears are going to take a quarterback with one of their picks and Mm -hmm. looks like they're going to get either the first or second pick. They may even get both picks. The price to get into the top three, which is what it's going to take to get – one of those guys is a lot larger than it was in 2003 when they were making that trade. And I'm not sure that Joe Shane is going to have the war chest to be able to get it done. And then all of a sudden it's just like, are the, and again, I'm not a college football expert. I'm not a draft Mm -hmm. expert. So I I haven't gotten, you know, I, I know Drake may and Caleb Williams are, look like slam dunks to be top three picks. But like after that, are the quarterbacks that worth it? I, I'm just not sure. I, I, I just think, I think it, there are similarities, but remember like there, there are major differences too. Well, of course there's definitely differences. I mean, you had a coaching change then going from, going from fossil to Coughlin. I mean, there are definitely differences. There's always going to be differences, but, you know, there's definitely similarities. And I do see your point there with those quarterbacks. So there is J.J. McCarthy out of Michigan. I don't, I don't know too much about him. Um, I'm really aiming for one of the two guys. My thing is that, you know, Caleb Williams has been on record about refusing to, you know, play in certain areas. Now, I don't think Caleb Williams is going to turn the Bears down. I can't imagine he would turn down that market. You know, it's the third biggest market in the country, probably the second best football market. I just can't imagine – you know, deep down, he's going to be like, no, especially when they're like, well, we can take you and Marvin Harrison Jr. And I mean, you know, I just don't see a scenario like that. But I could see a scenario, you know, the Cardinals. I don't think he's going to go to the Cardinals. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen. And yeah, I mean, you are right. If we don't get one of those two, that's not an ideal situation. But then, you know, you can just pivot in a different in a different direction. First of all, you could trade down and get a bunch of more assets. Second of all is one thing, you know, I, where I was disappointed in Joe Shane was he didn't pick a, um, a quarterback in the middle of a draft in both drafts. You know, I, I mean, I was looking at the draft uh, two, you know, two years ago, and I'm like, Sam Howell was rated pretty well out of UNC at one point. He didn't do so well in his senior year. He fell in the middle of the draft. Same with the guy from Atlanta, Ritter, Ritter. And they're not that good. But 
My point is, you can get Rudy a guy. Just got benched on Sunday for Taylor. Right, Hines, for sure. So. No, no, all these guys. I mean, there was there are a few other guys I'm forgetting their names, but you can get a guy in the second, third, fourth round. And I think in Brian Dable's system, I think they can be almost as productive, if not more than Jones. Because Jones really was a middle-of-the-draft talent. He was not a day-one prospect. He was supposed to be a second or third-round pick. And that's not hyperbole. That's a fact. They were laughing on ESPN when they drafted him at six. Like, you know, and then you have more and you have more options. Either way, you know, fake winning, I don't think it accomplishes anything. And I'm not all about tanking, but I'm just trying to be practical. No, I, I understand. I understand. I, I want to focus on the game itself for a second because we'll get back mm-hmm. to Jones. We'll get back to Barkley. We'll talk about them in, in you know, in the – in the macro sense, but all right. So let's cut to the chase, right? They're up 10, seven. They've got the ball. They are driving down the field. It is under a minute left, right? The jets burn all their timeouts. It's fourth and one. It's fourth and one. The jets have no more timeouts. It is, what were they at? Like the 12 yard line or so something like absurd, I know they were in short field goal range, but the weather was crappy in the tri-state area. Graham Gano had already missed a kick. And Dayball chooses to kick the field goal. It misses. It gives the Jets extra yardage in mm-hmm. terms of field position. They go down the field, spike the ball with one second left, kick the game-time field goal, and win in overtime. Were you okay with the decision to kick the field goal? Or were you just like, run the play, try and win the game, and be done with? Because I was incensed when they lined up to kick the field goal. That, to me, was insane to me. It's hard for me to answer that without my own um, bias and what I'm looking for. So the, so the Giants were in a normal position. I probably would be angry about that. Um, because you can't trust Zach Wilson to drive the ball down the field. The Giants probably would they'd probably win the game. But at the time I was not upset at all. I thought it was fine. I saw no problem with it at all. I thought it was, you know, I know well, you issue. thought because it was a chip shot field goal, you take the you put them up six, you kick off 25 seconds left or so. Zach Wilson, there's no way he's scoring a touchdown. Yeah, yes, that that's what I would have thought. So to me, after Gano missed the kick and given what the weather was, I was just like, just try and win the game. And what's crazy to me is that last year, Brian Dable, and this is a good segue into, mm-hmm. into his conversations, he coached to win games. Like he was ultra aggressive whether it was fourth down, it was going for two, like all these things, he's not doing any of that this year. And Sunday was the first time, and I know we all loved him last year, we're giving him a a longer leash now because we kind of knew that the roster wasn't as good as he made it look last year and all that stuff. But yesterday's game was the first time where I looked at him just like, is this another Ben McAdoo situation? Remember, he made the playoffs in his first year. Like, is this another Joe Judge situation where we kind of liked him after the first year and then all of a sudden it went to hell? Like, where are you at with Brian Dable right now? Because I'm starting to waver in my confidence in him. 
So I'm fine with um Brian Dable at the moment. And let me be clear. You said we all liked him. I never liked Joe Judge from day one. When he gave his stupid press conference about this being a blue-collar football team representing a blue-collar area, it's like the richest area in America. But that was the stupidest thing ever. Um, and plus, he's a little high school football coach routine. So I thought Joe Judge was a phony and was completely out of, out of his element as an NFL coach. Um, just be clear on that. With Dable, I'm fine. I know you're referencing, you know, going for the win. You know, he went he went for it, I think, with a two-point conversion last year in the first game against Tennessee, where he yeah. went for the win. I looked at it differently, though. I looked at last season with Dable was we weren't supposed to win. So he's going to go for the win because I actually – Why are they were... supposed to win now? Why, why would you change your style up now? Just because they made the playoffs last year? Like, they're clearly undermanned talent-wise. Like, why should it be a different style? I do think that making the playoffs last year – made ownership feel that, you know, Giants are back. And I do, but not just that, you know, it's hard to go into his head. Um, I think the bigger question though, that I would have on Dable is less about the play calling. It's more about, you know, you Tyrod Taylor's your starter in the game. Anything can happen. How do you have a backup quarterback who A, you don't trust basically throw a pass or B, isn't educated on the playbook. You know, that to me is the bigger concern here. It's less the play calling. It's more like you put a guy in the game who couldn't it was almost against a little bit hyperbole something like me or you in the game it was almost it almost seemed like that like it was just absolutely crazy i think that's the bigger question and that long term worries me more than his play calling in this game overall Dable, you know look i'm fine with him um you know obviously he didn't get a chance so yet to get his own quarterback because of what happened last season so next year you assume the giants get a quarterback we'll see him mold somebody Josh Allen has some struggles without Dable. So I'm not all about just let's just move on from Dable. I would give oh, Dable. No, no, I don't think that you can move on from him. Uh, you know, especially with an organization that before him was not very stable when it came to the coaching ranks. Again, you had McAdoo two, a year and a half, two years, right? You had Pat Shermer, two years, Joe Judge, two years, like, I think they want to give it another chance, especially coming off a playoff win on the road. However, however, it to me, it is concerning that he's totally lost his cojones and lost his his coaching style and, and is doing it completely differently now. And again, they're two and five, right? What do you have to lose if you go for it there on fourth and one? I get it. I get it. And it definitely is probably concerning to a degree. But like I said, I was a little more concerned that we put a quarterback in there who, didn't, who literally didn't know the playbook. Or they didn't yeah, the but ball. they had no I, – I mean, yeah, he should probably be briefed up a little bit more, but they had no choice. Like, you know, Tyrod got hurt again, and they weren't going to run the Wildcat this year. Like, they didn't have to do that. Jones is out with a neck injury. Like, you know – He's he's got to be prepped a little bit better, but I also think let him try and throw a pass at some point. I know he was two for seven with negative one yards. Like he got to do a little bit better than that. And, and you could have easily with some of the Saquon Barkley's ability, you could run him out in flat. You could do you know a little curl route. I mean, he doesn't. He is he played quarterback in high school and college. Like he can't play quarterback. Okay, he can play quarterback a lot better than any of us can play quarterback. So clearly. I, do I was think... a pretty good flag football quarterback back in the day, <laughs> you know, uh, back a long time ago. But yeah, I'd, ha I'd have to uh, 
rework, you know, and rebuild up the arm strength. But yeah, no, I I understand what you're saying. So that's like I said, that was what concerned me more actually with Dale than the that actual that specific decision. Um, because I feel like if they let him throw a little more, it would have it would have been a little element of surprise and would open up some more holes for Saquon Barkley. The fact that Saquon did what he did with no element of surprise again that over 120 yards on the ground. I know he had 36 carries, but still. And against that type of defense, one of the, you know one of the most talented defenses in the NFL, the fact that he was able to do that, I I was impressed. But no, Dable, the, you know, like I said, this year's a mulligan to me. Last year was supposed to be the mulligan, so I'm not too concerned. Well, next year though, I will completely be judging Brian Dable, like completely, no question about it. Now, I mean, obviously that game was was a bit of a disaster, and it was kind of the death knell in the. Um, the fleeting hopes that the New York Giants were actually going to make a run at this and possibly get into a wild card spot, even at eight and nine. So now, so now we talked about Brian Dable, but the Daniel Jones situation, right? Obviously, 40 million guaranteed next year. I mean, this year, it's about 47, but they but it's the last year of the deal it's not the full 40 years that everybody thought when they initially signed the contract that they have the opt out after next year uh they can cut him and there's some dead cap money here but if the giants are in position to draft a quarterback in the top three fine i understand but what happens if they're not right what happens if they're not Given Jones's inconsistency, given his neck issues, how would you go about it if they say got the fourth or fifth pick, which may be outside the uh, the range for Drake May or Caleb Williams? Like, would you go all in on a Marvin Harrison Jr. and see if Jones can reclaim some of the stuff that he had last year? Like, what would you do with Daniel Jones right now? Well, first thing I want to point out. I don't know anyone saw he had last year. You know, he was he ran often. He was a good game manager in a run first offense. Sure, he did have a very good uh, game against the Vikings in the playoffs, and a game against the Colts, two of the worst defenses in the NFL. Let's just be clear about that. I don't think there's anything really last year. Um, look, the, one of the worst things you can do is breach on a quarterback. That's what the Giants did in 2019 with Daniel Jones, with Dave Gettleman. So if you can't get one of the quarterbacks. And you know you don't you know and assuming the scouting on like a JD McCarthy or someone it's just not really um you know worth it. I just it. don't and think course, those guys merit the pick that they're going to have oh, for in the sure. first no, no. round. So, so I would I would agree. There's two options. If you have a chance to get a Marvin Harrison Jr., it's something to really think about as a franchise receiver for at least the next ten plus years. Other option is you trade down and get and get a ransom, and you again get these picks to keep building up our war chest. Um, and that could potentially put us in position the following year for a quarterback. Um, and I'm saying stay with Jones, and I would just draft a um, a developmental guy in the second or third round, probably. So really and, just- and actually, even if you take Marvin Harrison Jr., you can still in the second, third, or fourth round get someone else. Or maybe you trade back up, because I know we'll talk about it a little later, but we're going to be acquiring other picks. So you can use those picks to trade back in, grab a J.D. McCarthy or someone along those lines. Look, my hope, though, I said before, is Caleb Williams pulls an Eli Manning. Um, I just don't think he won't go to Chicago. I know they're a mess, but that market, I just can't imagine not going there. 
But we, we never know. I mean, things could play out a certain way. If you had a choice between Caleb Caleb Williams or Drake May, who are you taking? <laughs> so funny you ask that. So, you know, naturally you say Caleb Williams, but the scars of the USC quarterbacks, right? It makes you really it makes you really wonder. And Drake May it looks like a prototypical star quarterback. Uh man, that is very, very difficult. I'm going to say Caleb Williams only because he has attributes that are Mahomes like. Not all they'll translate, but he has some incredible attributes. And I think a big distinction is he is not from the LA or the West Coast. You know, a lot of these USC quarterbacks, they go there kind of coddled, have their kind of relaxed mindset. Caleb Williams is from DC. He's an East Coast guy. So yeah, I, I would take Caleb Williams, of course. And but remember, he was originally an Oklahoma guy. He just left with Lincoln Riley. Right. Um, exactly. Yeah. No, I, I would take Caleb Williams, but I will say this. If you told me right now I could roll the dice on a Caleb Williams to Drake May, or you can guarantee me a draft pick to, to, to get Drake May, I would take Drake May in that case. It's not what worth about, the risk. What about uh Shador Sanders if he ends up coming out? I mean, I know he was somewhat rated high, but I just oh, I'm all Deion Sanders is great. You know what Prime's doing over in Colorado, but I don't know. That's too high of an investment for me. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, obviously, you got to see what the second half of the season looks like and and where they're going to be. But they they're in a an interesting spot because because. They could completely miss the boat on trying to do your 2003 model. And then it's like all up and I don't want to say up in smoke because we've seen teams, you know, rally back. But it, it's really hard unless you have somebody who you really, really have confidence in. And I don't think after this year you can say that that Daniel Jones is worth having a tremendous amount of confidence in, in the long term. So let me ask you this. All right. So obviously the Giants were in the news today because they traded Leonard Williams to Seattle for a future second and a future fifth round pick. Um, the trade deadline is soon. So two, th two questions, two part question. One, what did you think of the trade uh, involving Leonard Williams sending him out? And two, who are the next guys to go? Because that clearly signals that they're not going for it this year. Adoree Jackson is a hot name. And do you think if they get wowed by a Saquon Barkley offer that they'd actually pull the trigger? So that's interesting. I was very happy with the trade. I was, I was elated. I was thrilled. Mainly because they follow the model of the Mets. Now, baseball doesn't have a salary cap, so it's obviously a different concept. But they paid someone to get a premium draft capital. They went ahead. You know, Seattle didn't have the cap space for Leonard Williams. They're paying almost all that salary, and they got a second-round pick this year and a fifth-round for next year. And the fifth-round for next year is nice, but that's normal when you trade someone like that. The second-round pick is what I was pumped about. I mean, I thought it was, it was an incredible haul. And I look, and it's funny, I don't mind Leonard Williams. I mean, obviously – when Dave Gettleman traded for him, I think Giants were like two and eight then or something. Like it made no sense to trade for him. And then he had a then he franchised him right and then he gave him their ridiculous contract. But Leonard Williams was somewhat of a productive player for the Giants, actually. And they ended up trading Leonard Williams for a better return than they gave up to get him. Which I yeah. which is quite interesting. So um I was thrilled with that trade. I thought it was awesome. It was great. In terms of other players, Adoree Jackson has to go as well. Um, I keep hearing rumors of Paris Campbell, but I don't know what he's really worth because he barely plays. Um, really, any veteran, but one player where I deviate from a lot of Giant fans who have 
the kind of the idea that I have in the tank is Saquon Barkley. Look, if someone's offering you a first round pick, it is something to think about. I'm, I'll say that. But otherwise, I don't see any reason to trade Saquon Barkley. Like, why would you? First of all, he's his mileage as a running back is not as that high, really. You know, he missed the full year at the ACL. That was a year off. Uh, then the year before that, he didn't play a full season. And the year after that, his, his usage is not as high as people think. And he's a freak of nature. I don't see him falling off a cliff anytime soon. I don't see after this year why you can't get at least three good years out of him. I would like to sign him to a long-term deal. You know, you, you don't. The goal, obviously, is draft guys, but Saquon is a, is a Hall of Fame talent, a blue-chip player. Those players don't grow on trees. I mean, we see what the offense looks like, regardless of who's a quarterback, Tyrod or Daniel Jones, and Saquon's there against when he's not. It's a complete game changer. Teams have to account for him at all times, not just a running game. He catches the ball out of the backfield, too. He can, he can run a 10-yard route and catch the ball. I wouldn't trade him. Again, though, if someone wows you, I mean, you have to consider it. So the Barkley thing's interesting. I I do think that, and we all know what happened in the offseason with his contract. He wanted a new deal. I get it. I get where the Giants are coming from, too, because he has had an injury history. But I think this year the Giants brass has seen that I they may have made a mistake on the Daniel Jones thing. They could probably get out of it. Again, one more year they can get out of it. But if you can lock in, you know, Barkley, considering the the Giants cap sheet will look better next year than it was this past offseason. If you can Mm -hmm. lock him in, then I think they're going to do it. Yeah, I'm not – I don't think they're going to trade him. I think, you know, the organization loves him. He's a blue-chip Hall of Fame-type talent. You know, when he's healthy, he's, you know, Hall of Fame type production. But the running back position is a brutal position. And it's gotten absolutely squeezed in the way the collective bargaining agreement works. And I've been on the record about this, that the quarterback market has gotten so out of whack that eventually Mm -hmm. owners are going to have to say no, that like these quarterback contracts, if you're not, Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen or Joe Burrow that to make that percentage of the salary cap is absurd, but whatever, that's a different subject. Mm-hmm. Today. I, I don't think Barkley goes. I think Adari Jackson will go. And I think it's a, a sign for a tear down. A hundred percent. And, and I agree with you on, on, on Saquon. And, you know, I think, you know, something to, you know, we mentioned with, you know, Jones's contract and be able to get out of it. There is some, there is a little wrinkle to that, that we got to be very careful about. It has to do with um, his injury, the injury guarantees, which so obviously, look, if he's having neck injury like he had two years ago as well, number one focuses him to be healthy for life, right? This isn't obviously football, just a game. But if you look at it from the Giants standpoint, if he suffers injury again, and he's not healthy going into next season. I think if I read it correctly, it guarantees 23 million towards 2025. That's a problem. But I think, but if he retires, I think that's insurance money. I don't. So I'm just curious if there's insurance on it or not, because everything I was reading was that he could mess their cap up. So a anyway, different topic, but it was just something that you know I thought was interesting. Because if you, if you want to pivot there, kind of have to wonder rest of the season. I know, I know they're gonna bring him back, but there's long term risk there. But on the Saquon front, look, I'm with you. I mean, those kind of players don't grow on trees. 
And the Giants were in a weird situation. You had a quarterback who was average, right? Top 16 at best. And that's being very generous. And a running back was probably the second best running back in football. You know, the logic of pay the quarterback and not the running back. I don't know if that was so good. I never really agreed with it in the Giants case. Well, it, well, it was groupthink. It was groupthink about, you know, the NFL and the importance of the quarterback position. However, I do think we've gotten, you know, overboard with if guys aren't great, don't pay them. Correct. Yeah, I couldn't couldn't agree more. I think the Giants will probably serve as a cautionary tale now in the NFL. I mean, um, it kind of becomes that. Before we pivot to the Knicks, because I know your Twitter handle is Angry Knicks Fan, I do want to give a shout-out to Kayvon Thibodeau. Oh, yeah. Because the start of the season, it was disgusting. It looked like they had missed on another top-five pick, and his first couple of games were a disaster. But he was a beast on Sunday. I know the Jets' offensive line is terrible, but he now is up to eight and a half sacks. He's playing really, really well. So I want to just give him some love that in a year where there aren't a lot of bright spots and silver linings for the Giants, it looks like they may have a dude uh, on the defensive line, uh, defensive end, which is a premium position, by the way, that they can count on for major, major production next year, who's actually finally getting to the quarterback. So I just wanted to give him a shout. Oh, 100, 110%. I'm a huge Kayvon Thibodeau fan. I love that uh, Carl Banks got into it. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I was on the other side of it. I was slandering him early on. But, you know, I, I'm I'm happy to eat crow on this because, you know, he's been really, really good. Now, do I think he's as good as Aiden Hutchinson in the same draft class? No. But Hutchinson was drafted second for a reason and probably should have gone first. So I, it, it's hard to poo-poo what he's done. He's he's played very well. Oh, yeah, for sure. Obviously, I'm a huge fan of him. And um, so it's kind of funny. I had a dream before the Giants drafted him that they had a chance to pick him and they passed up because of all the Dave Gettleman scars trying to get a team full of Boy Scouts. And people thought that, you know, Thibodeau had some passion of football issues, which obviously he didn't. And, yeah, that was an awesome pick. I was thrilled they picked him. And he, he's a beast. Him and Dexter Lawrence, that's my that's kind of my point, back to 2003. You got him and you got Dexter Lawrence, okay? You know, two of the best, going to be two of the best players at their positions. Like this, they're young. This is a cornerstone right there. This is what I mean with getting this rookie quarterback and loading up. I could see a scenario in a couple of years where the Giants could potentially, in say three years or so, three, four years, compete for a Super Bowl. I don't think it's outlandish if they do things, if things go the way it needs to go. It's not as crazy as it sounds. Well, then it's time to lose the rest of your games because <laughs> we want to try and get a top three pick That's... to ensure that you're getting one of those dudes. All right, on to the Knicks for a second. Obviously, it's the first week of the season. This is the team that is in your Twitter handle, as I mentioned, Angry Knicks fan. This is the team that drives me the craziest. Again, we've seen giant Super Bowls in our lifetimes. Mm-hmm. So as as us Jews say, Dayenu, um, <laughs> the Knicks. It's early. It's it's hard to really give any, you know, major thoughts right now. Their last loss was on the second night of the back-to-back. That doesn't excuse it, but it, it's a reason. Do you have any quick Knicks thoughts, something that has caught your eye, that you're looking at, something that's uh, disappointing? What are your quick Knicks thoughts? High level. So, first of all, I haven't been angry in three and a half years. It's just, I think I made that Twitter, things got better. They, they, uh, they 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 fired um 
and Steve Mills basically right after me that Twitter. So it's more of a nostalgic name, but I'm actually thrilled with the Knicks. I'm not this season, but it's in general. I mean, they're in the best shape they've been since since Patrick Ewing was there. So coupling with the Knicks, I mean, look, one and two isn't the greatest start. I'm not, I'm not worried about it at all. You know, look, I'm not worried about Julius Randle. I mean, he had, he had off his ankle surgery. Obviously, he's missing a lot of his shots. He'll be fine. And then again, it's the every other year goes well, so he's on pace not for as good a yeah, year. Yeah, I'm going to say I am because I don't particularly enjoy his uh, his work or his contributions, but I, I can – but I'm not, I'm not concerned. I mean, at the end of the day, he's, you know, since Patrick Ewing, he has been the second most successful Nick after Carmelo. That's, that's a fact. That's not, again, I'm, it's not really debatable. Right. I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not, and I'm not a Randall supporter, actually. Believe it or not. I'm not a big Randall guy. I'm just realistic. Um, you know, Nick that I've always been high on, I think we've argued over this a long, a long time on Twitter, RJ Barrett, and he has looked very good this season. So you know, far, if so he, good. My hope is he has turned the corner because where I got some heat on Twitter is I believe, and I'm not saying I believe it's likely, but I do believe R.J. Barrett's ceiling is higher than, than Brunson or Randall's. Now, will he hit the ceiling? I don't know. But you look at a guy like Jalen Brunson. I like Jalen Brunson. But a part of me does wonder. He's very undersized. He is hunted up. He is hunted on defense. I think he's have a great season. But part of me does think is the book out a little bit on him, only in the sense that he's a good player. Is my point, but his he maximizes his physical abilities and his talents, and that's phenomenal. But again, he maximizes it. There's I don't know how much room there is to get better because he just has physical limitations. And you look at a guy like Barrett. I mean, he does have some limitations, but Barrett was the number one prospect when he was in high school. Not Zion, not John Morant. I'm not saying Barrett's better than these guys, but my point is, is that he was the number one prospect. He also hasn't been in the greatest uh, situations to succeed. You know, most players would have been drafted third overall. They would have been on a team giving them the ball, tanking. The Knicks decided to sign them four power forwards that year and not tank. So I think we need to, which is hence why I'm an angry Knicks fan. That whole thing made me so angry. Um, so I think he hasn't been in the great best situations. If he's taken a step, that's very, very, very good for the franchise long term. Um, and yeah, oh, the Knicks, I think, are the third best team in the East. They'll be a top three, top four seed, I I think. But it, but they have a ceiling. Let's be real. They have a ceiling. They're not going to – they have no chance bearing injuries to beat Milwaukee or, or Boston. Like 0% chance, So which I'm, is I'm what it is. I'm curious to see if the RJ thing is real. I am a major skeptic. I, I will yes, you have readily admit that I am a major skeptic. I do want to see Quentin Grimes get more touches to be a secondary ball handler, a secondary playmaker. I want to see that. I obviously want to see Randall off the team at all costs. Um, and I just, but I do need to let this season play out a little bit. I need like two, two and a half, three weeks of basketball, seven, eight games to really start forming opinions. It's a little too early on the Knicks. We'll close with this one. Cause you're a Rangers fan as well. Yeah. A nice road trip that they've had. They just won tonight in overtime as we're recording this. It looked a little gruesome like the first week. Uh, people were calling for Jonathan Quick over Igor Shesterkin. It, it looks like all's right in Rangers land. Is this the year that they bounce back from a disappointing playoff exit last year? And can this team really make some noise? I mean, the optimist in me says yes. But I think I mentioned to you before we got on the podcast, I mean, it comes down to, the, you know, their they're back-to-back second and first overall pick. You know, Kako and Alex Laf- uh, Lafreniere. I mean, they have been disappointment, especially Lafreniere has been disappointment. 
And there's lots of reasons why. Is it because he never went on a top six line like the other guys were on earlier in their careers? Is that maybe it? But they're the X factors. Because look, we know what, what to, um, we're getting from Panarin. Even the playoffs, he kind of faded. Benajed, you know, Kreider is really, very, very good. Those two guys are the X factors. If they can take a step, then yeah, I don't see why the Rangers, you know, in theory, couldn't win a Stanley Cup. It's hard to win a championship, but if those two guys take a step, or even one of them, and they become elite, then the Rangers are in a very, very, very good situation. And look, we're seven and two. We're seven and two right now. It's early. I don't want to go crazy about it. But if you look at every team in New York, they're the they're Rangers, our best chance. The Rangers, the even city's best chance of a title, no question. Like, like even teams I'm not a fan of, like you know the Yankees and you know Jets and stuff. But put them all aside, the Rangers have the best chance to win a championship, and it's been the way for a couple of years. And I almost can say I feel like for the better part of my adult life, it's probably been that way. Um, but yeah, the Rangers have a shot. So I mean, I'm all in on it. Like let's go, you know. But but we'll see. It's such a long season. And it's crazy because the Rangers before this sort of resurgence that obviously the Henrik Lundqvist era up until this era right now, the Shesterkin era, like there were some dark days, you know, in the early, uh, in the early to mid aughts. Uh, oh, Rangers my God. Hockey, where it was rough where they were overpaying dudes. It was a disaster. But right now the Rangers are set up. I mean, yeah, Lafreniere seems to be the the swing piece for them. Like, if he's going to be a real player and not somebody that they like missed Jack Hughes by a year, it could be a major. Uh, that pains major me. That name Jack Hughes. That pains me so much, man. I hate. Yeah, it. I can't it's even, very painful. I can't even hear it. <laughs> can't hear because considering he, you know, had his way with them in the playoffs last year after they were up 2-0. That that was not great. But yeah, no, the Rangers. Rangers are good, and and they're set up for a while, and it, they're the city's best chance. So hopefully that continues. Steven, this was great. This is great. I know we've had our back and forths on Twitter, so it's finally nice to put it yeah, on. Yeah, no, X, for sure. They say, for sure. Put it recorded. Uh, hopefully we'll have you back on, uh, maybe talk a little bit more Rangers, uh, more Knicks. But, yeah, this was a pleasure, and uh, thanks again for doing it. I know it's late, but uh, thanks for taking a couple of minutes, and hopefully we'll do it again soon. No, for sure. Well, have a good night. Thanks again to first-time guest, my man Steven, a.k.a. Angry Knicks fan, for coming on for a couple of minutes talking about that horrific Giants game, a little bit about the Knicks, a little bit about the Rangers. It was good to have him on for the first time. Hopefully, we'll have him on again. That's episode 229 for the love of the game. Take us out, Tiesto, B-I-A, and 21 Savage. They be talking about net worth, but I bet my net, yo, gross. I want love and dollars. Bugattis and models Money right, she a hollow Max contract, I'm a baller She addicted to the lifestyle I can use my earrings for ice now Couldn't pick a friend cause they all fine Told her give me both cause the lifestyle Don't you tell me that it's no money I want you both Ain't no way that you take one from me I want you both All the feelings, all the feelings I can feel Let me know, let me know Thank you for listening to Believe. 
You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.